Welcome back, imaginary listeners and any non-imaginary listeners or nonnies, as the imaginaries like to call you in their completely adorable imaginary accents. Where are you guys from? Welcome to the fourth episode of Lucid or Bust, the podcast about a dream, to have a dream, a lucid dream. Guess what? I did it. I had a lucid dream after 40 years of trying. And what finally did the trick, you might ask? What pushed the lucid toggle in my brain from off to on? Was it reality checks? No. Was it dream journaling? No. Was it meditation? Hell no. It was galantamine. Wonderful, wonderful galantamine. Okay, and maybe some high-density intention work as I was falling asleep. But I've done the intention work before without going lucid. So what was different this time? That wasn't a rhetorical question, imaginary listeners. You were all supposed to shout, Galantamine! So here's what happened. After much procrastination, I worked up my nerve to try Galantamine for a second time. I'd almost tried it the night before, but when my Galantamine alarm went off at 3.30 in the morning, my bed was just so comfortable and I thought I would close my eyes and rest for just another five minutes before getting up. Well, they say that getting adequate rest is important for becoming a successful lucid dreamer, so really I was just increasing my chances. And then it was morning and I'd blown my chance, but somehow that failure motivated me to really try the next time. I hated the feeling of being disappointed in myself. I felt completely confident that the next time my galantamine alarm went off, I would get out of bed just to avoid that feeling again. And I was right. So the next night, my alarm went off at 3.30 a.m. and I hopped right out of bed. I had everything ready to go, so no excuses. Now, I'm also trying to train my brain to associate galantamine with some particular sensations to see if I could use those sensations to trigger a placebo galantamine effect somewhere down the line. Always work in those angles, me. So, I put the image of a blue rose onto my iPad mini screen, which is a visual contradiction to me. And then before I could lose my nerve again, I put a dropper full of Swedish bitters on my tongue. It actually didn't taste as bad this time. And just as my tongue started burning from that particular taste, I dropped a rose pastille onto it. Ooh, that actually tasted worse than the first time. Those French are crazy. I mean, thanks for the croissants and the petit fours, but soap-flavored candy? Man, the things I do to become a lucid dreamer. As I focused on the conflicting flavors, astringently bitter versus cloyingly sweet, I popped 
a galantamine. Then I popped back into bed, and I tried and I tried to relax and fall back to sleep. This is where everything went wrong the first time. So I was trying to try without trying too hard, if you know what I mean. I closed my eyes and focused on all the flashing dots and atmospheric snow that you see behind your eyelids, which kind of reminded me of those old VHS stations on black and white TVs that never came in clearly unless you attached a wire clothes hanger to the top of the TV and twisted it just so and then touched the side of the TV while standing on one foot. Ah, the 70s. I cycled through several wild techniques I'd learned, but they all seemed the wrong move for the occasion, so I ended up doing sild cycles. I finally started to drift off, but then I felt scared and woke up. Oh, I was afraid of sleep paralysis. This happened a handful of times until I finally realized what the main problem was. Lying on my back just felt too vulnerable, too exposed. So I curled up on my left side instead, and it was like my body was sliding into a preset position, tighter than I usually curl up, but somehow much more comfortable. My hands locked together in an odd way, like a necklace clasp. It should have been painful. It should have been impossible, but it wasn't. Then I closed my eyes and immediately the view behind my eyelids froze. It was like I was looking at a still black and white photo of the usual view behind your eyelids. And then these two giant invisible hands came down out of nowhere and started pressing down on my exposed shoulder and flank harder and harder. And then just as suddenly I was released for less than a second, and then the hands were back at their business again, pressing down, down, almost squeezing my body down, it felt like. Who was up there? A sumo wrestler? Well, this went on for a bit of time, and I started thinking, seriously? This is the big, bad sleep paralysis that everyone's been going on about? I mean, I've had mammograms that were scarier than this. And then, as if whomever was attached to the two giant hands decided, okay, this nut ain't cracking, the two giant hands, or some crazy force, grabbed a hold of me and in one smooth motion yanked me right out of my body. Whoa! And I was half flying, half floating up through my room, Whoa! And then I hit the ceiling and came to a complete stop. What? No! How do I get out of here? I started bouncing along just under the ceiling, feeling it with my fingertips, looking for, I don't know, a weak spot. And I had this thought that other dreamers also have trouble getting through ceilings. Like, this is a thing. A dream thing. While I tapped away at the ceiling, I became aware that I could hear my sister and my mother chatting in the next room, which I should have noticed was weird because 
There is no next room outside my bedroom. There's just a hallway and stairs. Also, what would my mother and my sister be doing in my house in the middle of the night? But I was too focused on getting through the ceiling to put two and two together, which is probably why I also miss the fact that this wasn't even the ceiling in my actual bedroom. It was flat. Okay, I happen to live in Salem, Massachusetts, in the old historical part of town, one block from the House of the Seven Gables, as a matter of fact. And my building, which was so quaintly narrow, it looked like it had slunk in between all the other houses on my street at the last minute before someone yelled, okay, no more houses here, had ye old gambrelled roof. And my bedroom was on the top floor, which was originally the attic, so it had a very high slanted ceiling with two wooden crossbeams. And, and you have to love condo renovators for this, on one side was fitted a giant skylight. So why didn't I think to try going through the skylight? But I did think about trying a window, so I somehow floated down to the window by my bed, which was in the right wall, but the wrong place, and I got it opened. The screen was still down, but I went for it anyway. I somehow went right through the screen without even touching it. But even as I was going through, I had the strongest feeling that this was the wrong way to do it. And then I was floating above the roof in an unfamiliar neighborhood, far more suburban than the Derby section of Salem, more like an English countryside. The details were all very blurry. In fact, I could only really see things that were directly below me. Everything else was kind of a blurry fog. But it wasn't my neighborhood, which was a disappointment because I also happened to live just three blocks from a marina which was filled with sailboats. Well, yes, none of those sailboats are actually mine, but would their owners really mind if I kind of borrowed one and took it out for a spin in a dream? It's not like there's a dream police force, right? I mean, what would they even do if they caught you? Confiscate your favorite pillow? Oh, by the way, true fact, all the patrol cars in Salem, Massachusetts have witches on them. I'm not kidding. Anyway, I lost track of the dream for just a second and snap. I was back in the bedroom, stuck under that damn flat ceiling again. No! I knew going through the window screen was the wrong way to do it. Somehow, I found myself on the floor, kneeling by my bed, which was actually exactly like my bed in Waking Life, which is to say, a sturdy air mattress on the floor with a high-quality Canadian feather bed on top. Feathers over air, that's how I like to sleep. And I became aware that there was a dog lying next to the bed. He was a big old dog, getting on in years a bit. He had large brown eyes and short wheat-colored fur and a physique that indicated he had learned how to maneuver his doggy charms into a lifetime of steady, high-carb treats. 
I fell in love with him instantly and started scratching him behind his ears and at the ruff of his neck. He closed his eyes and totally blissed out, making those squeaky grunting sounds dogs make when they're in the scratch zone. But I had things I wanted to be doing, although I couldn't quite remember what, and I had places I wanted to explore, although I couldn't remember where or even why or who was I exactly, I mean, outside the dream. But I still felt like me, I mean, awake me, in a way that I had never felt before, in a dream. I stopped scratching and the dog opened his eyes and lifted his head off the floor just enough to make eye contact with me and he gave me a pitiful look that said, you're stopping? Don't stop. Well, I said, okay, maybe just a little more. So I gave him another round of scratches behind his ears and then I got ready to leave. To where? For why? The dog lifted his head again and sent guilt waves at me from his eyes. You're stopping? Really? Can you believe this, imaginary listeners? Even in my dreams, dogs have me marked as a soft touch. Do they have some kind of a newsletter? I leave the dog and go back out the window, through the screen again, and it still feels wrong. And then I'm floating above the roof, surveying the unfamiliar countryside, but it's not where I want to be. Now I remember I need to get to the ocean so I can find a sailboat. Somehow, without knowing how, I create a portal in the air in front of me. It's actually a circle-shaped window screen. Screens again! I go through it and it still feels wrong. Suddenly, I'm walking on a beach into the surf. There's a rowboat waiting for me. And in the way of dreams, I know that this rowboat can take me to a sailboat. I just have to get in and row. I hop in and grab the oars. At first, I push the oars around in the water clumsily, almost rowing backwards, which in a rowboat has you moving forward since you sit facing the stern of the boat. And then it all comes back to me. I rode a rowboat on the Cape as a kid, although in waking life, I've only ever rowed in a placid bay. Now I'm rowing through a high surf and I'm not even slightly afraid. I fall into a steady rhythm of rowing, feeling the resistance of the water with each stroke of the oars. I can't see where I'm going because I'm facing the stern, but I just know I'm heading for a sailboat. And then I woke up in the most wonderful mood I can ever remember waking up in. I hopped out of bed and jotted down the details of what I just experienced. No trouble remembering this dream. And then I thought, since it wasn't even 5 a.m. yet, why not hop back into bed and try for a twofer? I still had galantamine percolating through my bloodstream, but it turned out I was too excited to fall back to sleep. My mind kept chattering away to itself, commenting on all the details of what had just happened. Did you see that weird screen portal? Oh my, 
Wasn't that dog so cute? Yanked right out of the body. Did you ever? Finally, I gave up on sleeping and threw on a swimsuit and went to the Y to swim some laps and burn off some excitement. But as I was swimming, I started thinking. That was a lucid dream for sure. But most of it, I was pretty low on the lucidity scale. I mean, I was aware of my core personality, but not always clued into the fact that I was dreaming. And the details, they weren't hyper real, like so many lucid dreamers described. In fact, most of the scenery was in a fog. The only thing that was clear were things that were right next to my body, like the dog or the rowboat. Then it hit me. This dream was the perfect metaphor for the way I went through life. In a little daydreaming bubble, in a cocoon of my own imagination, unaware of most of the details around me, except for things that were so close they were practically touching me. And if I lived that way, of course I was going to dream that way, even lucid dream that way. So many of the books and posts that I've been reading on lucid dreaming have said that if you want to have rich lucid dreams, you have to increase your awareness in waking life. It said so right in Stephen LeBurge's book. And I'd read what they'd said, and I'd thought, yeah, yeah, I got it. Nope, I didn't got it. But now I did. I really did. I actually stopped swimming and took off my swim goggles and looked around. And then I looked around again, this time really holding my attention on what I was looking at. I couldn't believe how much detail I'd missed on the first glance. And then I looked around again, and more details popped into my field of awareness. Where did those blue foam floats come from? Had they always been piled up by the door? And this became my new habit. I often started my day with a three-mile walk around Salem Willows and back a walk that took me along the water with some very pretty views. But now, as I walked, instead of just being vaguely aware of the lovely water lapping along beaches and docks while I daydreamed away, I made myself pay attention to the details of my ever-moving field of vision. I'd glance at a ye old house, look away, and then glance back. Where did that mermaid-shaped weather vane come from? I've walked by that house like a bazillion times, but I'd never really paid attention to the roof. Did that house always have solar panels? Good for them. Hey, nice wire folding chairs on that porch. I wonder if they got them at Target. I got mine at Target. They were a little pricey, but they looked sturdy, like they would really last and I figured they could also double as indoor chairs whenever I had a brunch. The last time I had a brunch, nobody ate the salad. 
Why do people say that they want salad and then just fill up on bagels and cookies? And I got the expensive organic salad from Whole Foods. You know, the kind that tastes awful and is good for you. I could have bought more cookies. There could be leftover brunch cookies waiting for me at home right now. Wait, where am I? Damn, I forgot to keep paying attention while I was walking. Imaginary listeners, this is hard. Guess what? Even with the help of galantamine, there are no magic shortcuts to becoming a lucid dreamer. You have to work to retrain your brain from the ground up. Or at least I do. It's kind of like learning to play a musical instrument. You can't just pick up a guitar and expect to start playing a song. You have to put in time practicing your scales. The problem is my mind is so undisciplined, so want to go a-wandering, that it's like trying to practice scales when my fingers keep melting. Although, in a weird way, this extra awareness was starting to remind me of something, of two somethings actually, that I already do all the time. Reading and grocery shopping, the dyslexic way. When I'm reading, I don't see all the words in every sentence. There's always one or two that are invisible on the first read-through. And sometimes sentences seem like utter nonsense to me, especially sentences that don't have a narrative thread where I can just extrapolate the missing words. So I have to reread them and reread them and reread them and really press my attention down on the sentence until those missing words suddenly appear. It's kind of like that scene in the Harry Potter movie when a building suddenly appears between two other buildings, like it just kind of squeezed in there out of nowhere. Hey, where did that come from? And it's the same thing with grocery shopping. There are certain combinations of shapes and colors that are hard to see. And the hardest are vertical rectangles that are a certain shade of yellowish-orange, which exactly describes the packaging of Trader Joe's Crunchy Curls. Ooh, have you ever had those imaginary listeners? They're this crunchy snack shaped like curls made from lentil flour. So yummy. So I'll stand in the chips and snacks aisle of Trader Joe's, staring and staring at the shelves, waiting for the Crunchy Curls to manifest. I know you're there, crunchy curls. You can't hide from me. I can sense your crunchy goodness. I'll stand there for a full minute if I have to. Although sometimes if a Trader Joe employee walks by and they're easy to spot because they always dress like they're going to a Jimmy Buffett concert, I'll just say, could you reach me the crunchy curls? And it always trips me up the way their hands just go unearingly to the crunchy curls, which seem to just pop into reality just as they're about to grab them. So, if I can read and successfully shop for lentil snacks, surely I can retrain my brain to be more aware of its surroundings, right? Okay, back to galantamine. So... If this were a fairy tale, right about now, 
I'd be saying, and she had a lovely lucid dream every time she took a galantamine, and she lucid dreamed happily ever after. Nope, that didn't happen. Now I was good. I made myself wait three days before trying galantamine again to make sure it had completely cleared my system, and then I got everything into place, set my galantamine alarm, and went to bed. And when my alarm went off, I repeated everything as before, even curling up on my side, but this time it felt awkward. I usually sleep on my back. And when I tried to lock my hands together like last time, like a necklace clasp, I couldn't remember how I did it. I lay on my side, trying to ignore my aching wrists, willing the behind-the-eyelid static to freeze into place, cueing the invisible sumo wrestler. But what happened was, I fell asleep and woke up to my morning alarm clock. But... I'd had intense, detailed, narrative-driven dreams, which I remembered. Now, I had gotten my hands on a copy of the original first edition of Patricia Garfield's book, Creative Dreaming, thank you, eBay, and was rereading it, a trippy experience I don't have time to go into right now, but one of the things Garfield wrote about was that you should think of the characters in your dreams as your dream friends, and you should imagine yourself asking them questions the moment you woke up. Well, the star of last night's dream was one of the contestants from Project Runway, the Native American woman who I always thought should have won. Step outside the box, Project Runway judges. So I imagined her inside my head and I asked her, is there anything you want to tell me? She didn't waste any time thinking about it. She said, try harder. Hmm. Okay, so I tried galantamine two more times, always giving it at least three days in between, but nothing lucid my way came. Well, now I was feeling very discouraged. Galantamine only worked one out of four times. But then I thought about what that dream character had said, try harder. And I realized, you know, I only did that high density intention work the first two times I took galantamine. Once I'd had that lucid dream, I figured, okay, now the pill will take care of everything. Mm, no shortcuts. So the next time I took the pill, I thought over and over, I'm going to have a lucid dream and fly up through the skylight, not the screen, the skylight. And I visualized myself flying up through the skylight over and over. But after a while, I got fed up and a little bored and I sat up in bed. And then I noticed that something felt off. I can't describe what it was. My body felt slightly the wrong shape and the way the room surrounded me felt off. Out of nowhere, I thought, eh, why not try that nostril breathing reality test where you pinch your nostrils closed and then see if you can breathe in through your nose. 
So I pinched my nostrils as tight as I could, and then I attempted to inhale through my nose. And I felt cool oxygen flowing in through my nose and into my lungs. What? Holy galantamine, Batman. This shit is real. But what happened next is kind of hard to describe because it's kind of hard to remember. I have the foggiest memory of floating up through the room and through the skylight. And then, like a bad edit, I'm back on my bed, floating up through the skylight again. And then back on my bed, floating up again, over and over. It felt like dozens of times, but it's so hazy in my memory. It's like something that happened to me when I was two years old. They have this thing called the lucidity scale. And I don't think I was even on the first rung of the ladder. I mean, I was as weakly lucid as you could be before you stopped being lucid. At one point, I took a break from floating up through the skylight and I was walking on a beach into the surf. Hey, meet the new dream sign. And then I was just full on regular non-lucid dreaming. But unlike the semi-lucid part, this dream was clear and easy to remember with a straight line narrative. I had come across a long table of people sharing a feast. This is actually one of my regular dream signs. The table usually looks like something you'd see in a Robin Hood movie. If the prop guy shopped at Home Depot, there was a man there who seemed to know me, although I did not know him. But I could sense the warmth of his personality, and that felt familiar. The man encouraged me to find a place on the bench and help myself. The table was overflowing with bowls and plates of food, but the food kept shifting into different food as soon as I looked at it, making it very hard to commit to a selection. I suddenly had a fork in my hand, so I took a chance and snagged what looked like a fancy cheese danish with cherry jam and icing on top. But when I plopped it onto my plate, it somehow turned into a bowl of spinach soup. Seriously? The man wanted me to feel comfortable at his table, so he asked me, And what have you been up to? Well, I said, practically swelling with pride, I've just had my second lucid dream which is about as much exaggerating as you can do before you're actually lying. A woman, two persons down from me on the bench, asked, What's a lucid dream? I thought they'd never ask. A lucid dream, I said, is a dream in which you are aware that you are dreaming while you are dreaming. Eh, she said, and went back to her salad. Well, screw you too, lady. You know, imaginary listeners, that's another thing. That's a thing in dreams, and not just my dreams, dream inhabitants. They're just so blasé about dreams. You'd think 
being made of the stuff of dreams, they'd give them a little more importance. Nope. For example, I had a dream early in this endeavor that was inspired by a new reality check I'd been trying. I noticed that my iPhone kept popping up in my dreams. I wonder what the Find My iPhone app would make of that. Anyway, I created this reality check where I would look at my hand and then I would look at my hand through my iPhone camera and I would compare them. So I had this dream that I was waking up. In fact, it felt just like regular waking up in the morning, except that I felt it was very important to look around me as I woke up. But for some reason, I couldn't seem to open my eyes more than slits. But then I had a clever idea. I just happened to have my iPhone in my hand as I was waking up. What are the odds of that, imaginary listeners? So I thought, I know, I can set the iPhone camera to burst mode and it will take a burst of pictures one after the other. And when I finish waking up, I can study the pictures and see what I missed. But, and here's where the dream gets weird or weirder. As I was dreaming that I was waking up, I dreamt that I fell back to sleep and started dreaming in the dream, but only for like a microsecond. And then I woke back up, but the iPhone camera just happened to go off at that particular moment. And it photographed the dream because suddenly in the way of dreams, I had already woken up and I could see normally again. And I was studying the pictures, which were all of me in bed in the t-shirt that I sleep in, except for one picture where I was wearing a long sleeved gown made out of coarsely woven blue wool. What? I had an actual picture of an actual dream on my iPhone. And in the way of dreams, I was now in Whole Foods supermarket, running up to people shouting, this is B-I-G. I have a picture of a dream on my iPhone. But no one seemed to care. They just wanted to pick out fruit. Like organic pears were more important than the first dream ever photographed in the history of everything. Dream people, they just don't get it. They really don't. So I think the direction I want to go is to use supplements, but not to depend on them. I want them to be a bridge, but not a crutch. I don't know if that's possible, but you never know until you try. Well, imaginary listeners, once again, I have run out of time, but I think I covered everything I wanted to say in this episode, except for one little thing. Do you guys remember in the first episode where I said, I'm going to do a podcast every other week? Yeah, I kind of forgot why I call the busy season the busy season. So maybe every three to four weeks. Anyway, as always, I just want you to know how grateful I am for your imaginary attention. 
as I stumble through the process of being a podcaster. You guys are the best listeners anyone, anywhere has ever imagined. And if there are any nannies out there listening, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my podcast. Although, in a more likely scenario, when my podcast started playing, you were probably walking along the edge of a cliff that overlooked a bottomless chasm, and in your haste to jab your iPhone screen and turn me off, you slipped and started going over the cliff, but miraculously, your iPhone, which had flown out of your hands, got jammed in between two rocks, and you just managed to grab onto it as you were going over the edge. But now you were faced with a choice of letting go of the iPhone and plummeting to your death, or hanging onto it, forced to listen to my voice going on and on and on. If that was the case, well, hang tight. I'm only doing this for a year. So, until next time, dosed up on galantamine or just plain high on life and cookies, I'm still lucid or bust.